The rest of you can turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. All the way to the right. Say a quick prayer for us, then we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Would your Holy Spirit speak through your word right now? Amen. Have you ever gotten lost? Have you ever been so lost you didn't know where you were? Nothing seemed familiar. You didn't recognize landmarks, buildings, people, places, trees, whatever. Nothing seemed familiar. My brother uh, actually got lost in Colorado on a, on a hike uh, in the, on a mountain. And uh, he, when he came back and, and he was found, him and his friend, they, they found their way out by, well, it was late at night. Uh, but he didn't like to call it being lost. He called it being directionally confused. Have you ever been lost? Well, maybe you feel a little lost in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. But I think that's actually how we're supposed to feel as we come to this point in Scripture. Now, Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. And I want to point you back to verse 11 of chapter 20, where all of creation fades into a lost space. It says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. From the presence of Christ Jesus, we get this picture of heaven and earth going away. So where are you if there's no heaven and there's no earth? Well, you're in what my revelation professor liked to call, uh, my, my revelation professor liked to call no place. You're in a lost space. It's as if God has stepped outside of reality for the final judgment. You're at no place. It's as if Jesus has, has pushed everything into uh, a, a type of limbo or oblivion for that final judgment. And maybe you're wondering, well, why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, it's because God is about to make a new creation. He's about to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's about to call them, uh, call them into existence, and he doesn't want even a hint of evil to enter into that new creation. So in this lost space, God judges Satan, the evil dead, those who follow him. He casts them into the, uh, the second death, the lake of fire. He seals them. And then that reality is, is put away as the new heaven and the new earth come. Maybe some of you have this picture of what eternity is like, is that we'll all be in, in heaven and then just over there we'll be able to see hell and see the suffering. And that's not the case what, for what eternity is like. Eternity is, is put away uh, for hell. It, it's, it's put out of reality. They're, they're separate realities because not even a hint of evil is to come into our new home. 
Now, as we open up chapter 21, we find ourselves lost no longer. We begin, begin to, uh, to see things that are familiar. It's like when, when you're lost and you begin to see landmarks, you begin to see buildings you recognize, and suddenly you realize, ah, I know how to get home. Here, when we see the new heaven and the new earth, it's like a familiar sunrise. Finally, we see our home approaching. That those who trust in God can say, ah, we're, we're finally there. We're no longer lost. And so as we read through Revelation 21, 1 through 8, you should get a sense of the familiar and also of the new. That we're finally coming to the place that we belong as the people of God. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In Revelation 21, the people of God are finally coming home. We are finally going home. And even now, right now, God is preparing this home for us. See, God is preparing a new home for his people God is preparing eternity for us. He's praying, preparing forever for you and for me if we trust in him. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. When you think of eternity, what do you think of? Do you think of, of heaven? Do you think of uh, uh, you know, golden streets? Uh, you know, a golden city, golden park benches, golden sidewalks, golden slides. Maybe when you think of heaven, you don't actually think of a very comfortable place. It seems kind of hard and, and, and cold. And you think, we're going to spend eternity there? Well, we need to understand the difference between eternity and heaven. There, there, there is a difference there. See, heaven is, is where you go when you pass away. Right now, if you were to die, you would be with Christ in heaven. And that's the most important part of heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And we're with him. 
until his return. But heaven is a little different than eternity uh, because eternity involves a new creation. It's not just that our, our souls go and be with Jesus and our bodies are kind of a bad thing that, that stays in the ground forever and we're glad to be done with them. No, the spiritual and the physical are meant to be united. And so we are to be re, reunited in the resurrection with our, with our bodies. We're to have a, a whole new creation, a whole new renovated, glorified body. Sounds some, really good for some of us. And just like we will be resurrected and we will be glorified, so creation will be resurrected and so creation will be glorified. That we'll have a, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, what does this mean, new heaven and new earth? Now, I had a seminary professor named Stephen Whitmer, and he recently wrote a book called Eternity Changes Everything. And I'm just going to quote from this book, uh, but if, if you haven't had enough of revelation in the last eight months, I encourage you to pick this up. And even if you have, uh, I encourage you to pick it up too because it's just a great book and it's refreshing and it's not too long. But he talks about the new heaven and new earth. And what does that really mean if it's the same but not the same? Well, first he says some things are removed. Second, some things remain. And third, some things return. So first, some things are removed. Verse 1 says, the first heaven, the first earth, and the sea, they're no more. Now, I know some of you might be afraid when you read that the sea is no more because you really like the cape. You really love going down to the beach, and you just can't imagine eternity with no beaches. How could that be a beautiful forever? Well, I don't think that that's what it's talking about. It's not saying, you know, eternity will just be a giant earth with no oceans. See, the sea was a symbol of separation. It is a symbol of separation. It separates continents. It separates peoples. It's also a symbol of death, the abyss, the dark and murky waters. And God is saying, I am going to remove death. I am going to remove the abyss. The chaos waters will be no more. They will only be peaceful waters. The new creation will feel different because some things are removed. Second, some things remain. Now, when we think about eternity, we should try to picture creation in its perfect form. So you, you shouldn't think of like pink clouds and, and angels and, and wings and, and harps and trampolines, whatever comes to mind when you think of kind of this ethereal other reality. No, you should think, you should just look outside and say, eternity is going to be something like that. The trees and the, the creation, but it's going to be in its perfect form. Imagine no pollution, no corruption, no garbage. Creation in its perfect, most glorified form. It'll be even better than what we experience out there. The beauty will be magnified a million times. We'll be able to truly appreciate God's creation as he intended it, free from sin. And guess what? You're going to have all the time in the world to enjoy it. When you go on vacation, you're like, man, i got to hit seven landmarks in seven days, and you can't get anything done. Well, you can take your time in eternity. 
Because we have all the time to explore, to create. I personally like to imagine that if you've never seen the world's tallest waterfall, you'll have the opportunity, you'll have the time. If you've, never, if you've always wanted to, to climb a really tall tree like a redwood, you'll have the time. I like to imagine that if you wanted to build a spaceship and travel the galaxies, you'll have the time. I don't know if that's true, but uh, maybe God will take you on a personal tour. But it's good, it's good to, to let our imaginations run a little bit and imagine what the possibilities could be because no matter what we come up with and how great we think eternity is going to be, it's going to be even better than that. The new creation will feel familiar because some things will remain. Third, some things return. That's right, some things return. In his book, uh, Whitmer talks about the Garden of Eden. See, the Bible begins in Genesis at the Garden of Eden, and it ends in Revelation at a new garden, at an even better garden, a restored garden, a glorified garden. We're, we're, we're going home to that. This new creation is going to be our return to the garden. So if God is preparing eternity for us, how can we get ready? How can we prepare ourselves? How can we get into shape? Well, Scripture calls those who will spend eternity with Christ his bride. The church, the people of God, are referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, what is it about getting married that causes the bride and groom to hit the gym? We want to look our best for our loved ones, so we slim down and tone up. Now, before I was getting, uh, getting married, when I was in, engaged to Monica, I was going to school at Gordon-Conwell, uh, and my classmates thought that I was trying to lose weight and get in shape because I kept bringing hard-boiled eggs to eat at lunch. But what they didn't know is that hard-boiled eggs are one of three things I know how to make. This kind of describes our, our relationship with God, how we view our relationship with God sometimes. As if we can just starve ourselves on a few more hard-boiled eggs, God will be pleased with us. That if we can just whip ourselves into spiritual shape, if we can just trim those, those fat cells from our spiritual walk, that God will be pleased and he'll be happy with you. He'll be happy with me. When we do this, we, we look at Jesus and we look at Savior as our fitness instructor. And that is not what he is. He's our Savior. He loves us. Getting ready for Jesus is not about starving ourselves on hard-boiled eggs. Getting ready for Jesus is about accepting his love and realizing just how great his grace is. And that no matter what we do, we can never deserve it. It is a free gift. See, God is preparing eternity for us, but God is also preparing us for eternity. God is preparing us for forever. Verse 2 describes a city coming down out of heaven that is like a bride. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we get this image 
in Revelation 21 of a, of a new city, of a glorious city coming down out of heaven, and that new city is compared to a bride. So my question, in, question is, is that a city or is that the church? Is, is that the people of God? Is that, is that the bride of Christ? Which one is it? Well, John specifically takes two images, the church and the bride, uh, the city and the bride, and he, and he melds them together for a reason. Because he wants us to see that the city of God will be filled with the people of God. That there will no longer be this separate place where people dwell outside of God's city, outside of God's presence, but that we will dwell in this holy place together with God. Now notice that the bride has been prepared and has been adorned. So has the bride prepared herself and adorned herself? Well, earlier in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it says that the bride has made herself ready. So once, Scripture says, you know, the, the bride has prepared herself, and twice it says God has prepared the bride. So which one is it? Well, it's both. God is at work in us, in our lives, in our church. He's the one who's responsible for any success, for any good things we do, for any triumph in our, triumphs in our own personal walks. If, if you spend time with the Lord today or this, this week or do something that honors him, it's only by his grace. It's only by his will. And so we need to remember that, that God is the one who is preparing us ultimately. Yes, we do our part to prepare ourselves to, to get ready, but it's only by the grace of God. So an interesting question is, are you better at preparing yourself or are you le- better at letting God prepare you? Are you, are you described as a, a diligent Christian? You're good at reading your Bible. You're good at praying. You're good at letting your Christian life influence your entire life, where you work, where you play. You're always, you always come to church on time. Are, are you a diligent Christian? When I was home in, in, in Colorado, uh, we looked at our old family photo albums, and my mom uh, wrote in these photo albums. She would write you know, little sayings. We had a fun time at the park. We had a great time uh, at the lake. And next to about five pictures, he said, Jonathan being diligent. Jonathan diligently putting together his Legos. Jonathan diligently playing outside. If you're like me, this comes a little bit more naturally. And I need to be reminded and you need to be reminded that God is the one who is diligent. God is the one who is preparing us. We shouldn't feel self-righteous because look how good we look spiritually. No, it's Jesus Christ that is working out his will in our lives. Now what if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you, you put a lot of reliance on God's preparation of you? Reading your Bible doesn't come so easily. Praying and doing those spiritual things and trusting in God and you're always late to church. Well, if a bride on the day of her wedding was to go to a salon or uh, a beauty parlor, parlor, I'm not sure where brides go. Uh, (laughs) If she were to go there and, and they were to ask her, well, how do you want your makeup? How do you want your hair? She were to say, oh, how, whatever, it doesn't matter. That, that would be strange. 
That wouldn't make sense. So God is calling those of us that struggle with preparing ourselves to, to look forward to Christ, to follow Christ, to, to make ourselves ready. God is preparing eternity for us, and he is preparing us for eternity. So God is preparing a new home for his people, but God is also preparing a new life for those he loves. He's preparing us a home and a life. Our new life, there's something very special about it. There's something very glorious about it. Our new life will be with God. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Our new life will be with God. Now the ESV translates verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now the word for dwelling place in the original language is the word for tent. That's right, tent. It's saying, behold, the tent of God is with man. Now if you look through the New Testament, look through the Old Testament, we see several references to tent. And oftentimes that refers back to the tent in the Old Testament called the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle, uh, the prophet Moses instructed the people to put together this, this large tent. It's made of fine, you know, fine linen, fine cloths, uh, leathers, all sort, sorts of precious stones and, and, uh, and metals. And it was a place, a holy place, that the people could worship God. But what made it special was not that it was beautiful, but that God's presence came down and rested over the tabernacle as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it rested over the most holy of holy place so that once a year the high priest could go into that holy of holies and make atonement for the people, make an offering for the people for their sins uh, in God's actual presence. God's presence among his people was at this tent. And here at the end of Revelation, God is promising to set up his tent once more with us. God is saying, I will come and I will tent with you. He will dwell with them. He's saying he will tent with them. He will tabernacle with us. Imagine God's, God's full presence coming down and being among his people. No more do we, we talk about looking forward to seeing Jesus. We get to see Jesus face to face in eternity. We get to dwell with him, to tent with him. And we will worship him, and it will be wonderful. Our new life will be with God. Now, I went on a camping uh, trip in a tent uh, with my wife when we went to Virginia Beach in June. We went camping near the beach, uh, and Monica and I set up a, a large uh, kind of outer tent that it covered the, the campsite from like bugs. Uh, it didn't have a floor. It was more of just a bug screen and, and shade. And then we're such new campers that we set up our tent that we were sleeping in inside this tent because <laughs> we didn't want to get attacked by the bugs or the frogs. One frog did make it into the big tent, but not the smaller tent. And if, 
at night, when all the lights were out and the campfires were gone, if you looked out through the mesh, the first layer of mesh at an angle, and then through the second layer of mesh at an angle, you might be able to see one or two stars. Very unlikely, but you might be able to. Now, Monica and I also just went to France. And we went on a, uh, a hiking trip, an overnight hiking trip, and we went, uh, we were going to essentially go camping, uh, but we had like 95 teenage campers, so there wasn't enough tents, and so that night, we slept underneath the stars. And that was one of my favorite nights because the mesh had been removed. And I could stare, lay there and just stare at the stars and see the glory of God's creation and marvel at how good and beautiful he is. My friends, God is going to remove the mesh between him and us so that we can look upon him and see him and marvel at how beautiful and wonderful he is and truly worship him face to face. Our new life will be with God. The most significant thing about eternity is being with God. It's about living with him. It's about existing with God. But there are some important and very encouraging for this life aspects of what it means to dwell with God forever. Verse 4 talks about us no longer knowing death. Verse 4 says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 4 is one of the most comforting verses in the Bible. Because God is promising us that death will come to an end. There's three points I'd like to make about this verse. First, it says that although death feels permanent, death is actually a temporary thing. It's temporal. Now, right now, when people pass away, when they die, they don't come back. There's only been one, Christ Jesus, and, and death feels so permanent. Maybe you have someone that you've lost recently, or you know about those who have died, and it just feels like the end, like it'll last forever. Well, this is a lie. This is not true. If, if you trust in Christ, death is not the end. Death is temporary. So first, although death feels permanent, it is indeed temporal. Second, this says that all aspects of death will disappear, not just some. So I suppose the question is, if, if, if death and, and Satan are confined to a, a different reality, will we remember death? Will we remember pain and suffering? Will we remember sin? I think the answer is yes, you will remember them, but right now we experience everything uh, right in the present. It's, it's a very experiential reality. And I think we're going to remember these things in light of God's grace. That we will remember them not experientially, but as things that God has conquered. And they will just magnify our thankfulness for Jesus and what he did on the cross. Dying for our sins, paying the cost, and rising again from the grave. So everything will be removed but it won't be completely forgotten. It'll help us be grateful 
for eternity. Third, this means that God understands people's suffering. Notice all these words. They're very human words. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. These are all very relatable words. We've all cried. We've all seen death. God's saying, I created you. I love you. I know exactly what you need to find comfort. So maybe you're going through a, a tough time right now where you're crying a lot or, or mourning a lot or you're very aware of death. And remember that God is going to take all these things away and he understands pain and he understands suffering. We will no longer know death. Now, I was just in Colorado for a family reunion uh, and while I was there, some of our church's uh, senior saint ladies dropped by the house. Uh, and there are, are three of these ladies, and they, they came by the house to, to say hello, to pick up some things. Uh, and I, I love these, these ladies because they, they pray for me, uh, at least weekly, and they'll listen to my sermons or watch them and, and send me encouraging Facebook or emails, they don't do Facebook. Uh, they'll send me encouraging emails. Uh, and uh, I like to hear how they're doing when I go home to Colorado. So one of the ladies, Joyce, uh, she was sitting in the car and I went and said hi to her. And I said, how are you doing? How have you been? She said, well, Jonathan, I got very sick in January of this year and I almost died. And I was so excited because I knew I was going to see Jesus. I was so excited because I just wanted to see him. Wow. She didn't talk about being afraid. She didn't talk about the fear of death. She just wanted to see Jesus. And then she said, but I, I'm still here, so I guess he doesn't want me yet. This brought a tear to my eye. I choked it back. I'm not one who cries very often. Um, but this is what eternity is about. This is what heaven is about. It's about being in Jesus' presence, about seeing him, about knowing him. And in the present, that means that you don't have to be afraid of death. It doesn't have to worry you or bring you anxiety because pretty soon you'll be with Jesus. Death will be but a dark memory as we live with Jesus forever. So God is preparing a new home for his people. God is preparing a new life for those he loves. And God is preparing you to spend eternity with him. That's the big point. God is preparing you to spend eternity with him right now. Verse 5 says, I am making all things new. It's right now. He's making all things new. All things includes you. Maybe you don't feel very new right now, but God is making you new. The scriptures say it, and God promises that if you trust in him, he'll bring it to the end. He'll bring it to fruition. All things, if you love him, will work out together for good. Now, our, our passage has a very interesting structure, verses 1 through 8. So the first seven verses are very positive. They're very encouraging. A new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. And then verse 8 has a rather negative ending. 
first seven verses essentially explain what happens if you trust in Christ, and verse eight explains what happens if you don't trust in him. So the question now is, will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust him? When you trust in Christ, you can count on God. When you trust in Christ, you can count on your Savior. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So verse 5 talks about the one seated on the throne. Earlier in Revelation chapter 5, the lamb is worshipped along with the one seated on the throne. As a reminder, the lamb is Christ Jesus, that sacrificial offering for our sins. And so when it refers to the throne, uh, Scripture is really referring to the fullness of the triune God, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And God is saying, my words are trustworthy and true. If you trust my words, then you trust in me because I am trustworthy and true. I'm worth it. You can count on me. That if you trust in me, I will bring you all the way to the end. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's like saying, I am the A and I am the Z. I am the beginning and I am the end. If you put your faith in me, I will bring you to the end safely. And I will bring you to a new beginning. Revelation 21, 6 describes this. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of of the water of life without payment. So if, if you recognize your sin, if you see your sin, you say, I've, I've been disobedient of, before God. God is saying, I have water that can quench that thirst. I'd like to freely give it to you. Maybe you don't know if you're thirsty. Maybe you struggle with recognizing that. Well, you're thirsty if you're constantly weighed down with guilt. You're thirsty if everything, every day, you think about those things you haven't yet done. You're thirsty if you would prefer a different life instead of the one God has given you. You're thirsty if you're full of angerness and bitterness and resentment. We're all thirsty. You're thirsty if you think there's a God, but you're not sure how to know him, we're all longing. And God is saying, I can quench that thirst with Jesus Christ. Here I am. Come and drink from the water of life. When all this requires to begin to drink is to say, Lord Jesus, I am thirsty. The only thing that can satisfy me is you. And if you're a Christian and, and you struggle with being satisfied, that's our prayer every day. Lord, satisfy me. Quench my thirst. God promises us in verse 7 that if you trust in him, if you call upon him to quench that thirst, you can count on the richest reward. 
You can count on the inheritance of Christ, that you will share in the inheritance of a king who created everything, and he wants to give you the inheritance of eternal life with himself. He wants to give you his love. When you trust in Christ, you can count on God. Are you ready? Do you want him? If you trust in Christ, you can count on God, but if you trust in yourself, you can count on death. When you trust in yourself, you can count on death. Verse 8 is very clear. It's like a surprise jab to the face at the end of a boxing match. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This verse describes those that that don't trust in Christ, that don't believe in Christ, that are choosing to reject him, the unbelieving. And maybe... Maybe you don't believe in Christ, but you wouldn't describe yourself this way. But if you have rejected Jesus, you have committed the worst of sins. You are described by this verse. But God gives us so much hope because this verse does not have to describe you for a moment longer. If you put your faith in Christ, if you put your trust in him, You can share in eternity. You can be made new. You can walk into that new creation truly new. When you trust in Christ, you can count on God. But when you trust in yourself, you can count on death. When I was home for this family reunion, my my dad taught a short Bible lesson to my nieces and nephews, to our whole family. Now, he broke out those felt sets from Children's Church. Are you familiar with those? Uh, I think it was the same one from when I was a kid. Uh, so it was pretty old. Uh, and it had cutouts of Jesus, the angel of light, uh, Lucifer, Satan. Uh, it had a pathway to heaven, a pathway to hell. There was a felt heaven, a felt hell. Uh, it wasn't actually very intimidating because Jesus was very much a, the white American version of Jesus. And Lucifer had angel wings and he looked angry and he had a mullet. <laughs> and, uh, and there were two little cutouts of a little boy and a little girl in what looked like 1950s clothes. And my niece and my nephew were supposed to choose where to put their little felt boy and girl. They could put the little boy and girl on the narrow way with Jesus Christ that led to eternity, to, to heaven. Or they could put the little boy and girl on the Broadway led to Satan, to death, uh, which many choose. Of course, they chose the narrow way. At the, little, at, the, at the beginning, there was a little box that said choose. Today, God is offering us a choice as well. If you have not chosen Christ, you can choose him today to walk with him, to go through life with him. God offers us the narrow way or the broad way. And he... And the narrow way has such a beautiful ending. Don't you want to be a part of that? Of a new creation? Of eternity with your friends, your family, those that you love that have trusted in Christ? God is preparing you to spend eternity with him. Are you ready? 
My wife and I recently helped lead our high school students on a missions trip to France, as I mentioned. And uh, the great thing about this trip is that the kids are supposed to form intentional relationships with the French campers, with each other, so the Americans and the, the French. And they're just supposed to love on each other and enjoy each other's presence for a week and try and share the gospel and uh, encourage each other. And uh, the downside of this is that on the very last day, everyone is crying. Everyone is so sad to see their new best friend leave. And so they were walking around saying things like, goodbye, and I love you. I'll see you on Skype. Let's Facebook. I'll see you next year at camp. So I, as one of their leaders, and as what I would, you know, the associate pastor thought I should say something that was very comforting and pastoral to the campers, to the American teenagers. So I walked around and I gave them hugs and said, goodbye, I'll see you in heaven. They didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> they didn't think it was pastoral or, comfort or comforting. But I think something about it is true. That we, as the children of God, when we say goodbye to those that we love, whether it's for a short period or long period, and if they know Christ, we don't have to be sad. Because we will see each other in heaven and eternity. And we'll get to enjoy them forever and ever and ever. And that's not even the best part of eternity. The best part of eternity, if you trust in Christ, is getting to spend eternity with Christ. Getting to know and dive deep into your walk with him, your relationship with him, worshiping him, telling him directly how grateful you are that he saved you from your sins. That's what eternity is about. God is preparing you to spend eternity with him. Take comfort that God is getting you ready. God is preparing you for eternity with him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the one who is preparing us for yourself. And you're preparing a new creation that we can know and understand and enjoy to spend forever with you. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your grace. When we walk out changed by a glimpse of the future you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can rise for the benediction. This is the very last verse in the book of Revelation. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.